Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with the digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself. And if you don't get my weekly email, uh, just uh, go to wellchurch.org. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, you can sign up there, and, and I send out an email every Friday about what's happening in the church. So thanks for being with us today, and it's good to be back. I've been away for a few weeks, and, and I want to thank Aaron and Jezekiel for holding down the fort while I was away, and, and thank you to all of you for letting me get away for a few weeks and, and, and be refreshed a little bit. I appreciate it, and it's good to be back. And today we're continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and uh, today is the Sixth Commandment. And of course, we have a view of the Ten Commandments, probably most of us, that they're, they're out of date. They're just kind of this religious relic from the past. And, and they're archaic. And at best, maybe some people view them as guidelines for life. We all know how the, the Ten Commandments are used as a political football in America. That a politician will try to gain religious voters and he'll, he'll say that, well, I'm going to put the Ten Commandments on public property. And it creates this big debate. And, and, and so we know how the Ten Commandments are used. But if you get nothing else from this series, maybe this is the best uh, thing to pick up that in their context, the Ten Commandments were liberating, freeing for the people who received them. And it's, it's the same for us. The Ten Commandments are meant to be liberating for us. And I know it doesn't seem that way when you read thou shalt nots and thou shalls, and it doesn't sound liberating. But the meaning of them, once we understand them in context, the meaning of them is liberating for us. And the same is going to be true today. And so let me start by asking you, do you ever feel on edge? And you're thinking, Ryan, how many times per minute is too much feeling on edge? Of course you do. We live in an anxiety ridden time. Do you feel anxious? Let me ask you a question. If you're honest, are there people that you have a hard time with? Are there some people that you just think about them or you hear their names? And it's just, talk, it's just hard for you. You're just like, ugh. Are there people in society because of their views and the way they treat other people, the way they talk, the way they vote, the, the way they see the world differently than you do? And it's just hard for you. Sometimes you feel disgusted by them if you're honest. If you're really honest, sometimes it's hard not to hate certain people if you're really honest. Do you have a hard time with some folks? Is there somebody in your life that just occupies too much of your headspace rent-free? And you wish that you thought about that person less. But it's just, it's just hard for you to move on. Well, the sixth commandment today is liberating for you and for all of us. Because all of us, of course, struggle with those things. And so the sixth commandment is not going to take very long to read. We're going to read it together, but don't blink because it's not going to take long. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and it's this. You shall not murder. Now, you're probably thinking, Ryan, I don't hate them that much. Like, yes, I have a hard time, but I'm not really considering murder. And that's good. Hopefully you're thinking, you know, that's a pretty low bar. I can jump over that bar. If, if that's all this command means, I'm not going to commit homicide. We're good. You know, and that, could, that would be a really short sermon. You know, don't kill anybody. Amen. Pass the plate. What's for lunch? However, uh, over the centuries, rabbis and pastors and theologians have, have seen much more, uh, a much more expansive meaning to this command than just don't murder somebody. All right? There's more to it 
than that that is liberating and freeing for us. And that's where we're headed today. So let's jump right in. So first of all, the version of this command you're probably most familiar with is not the word murder, but thou shalt not kill. And that comes from the King James Version of the Bible. It was written in 1611. And since then, there have been uh, new, uh, uh, you know, older trans- transcripts of, uh, of, the biblical, uh, uh, of the biblical books discovered and so on. And, and now we understand that there is a word for kill in Hebrew, and that's the word harag. And that's not the word that's used here. What we have here is a more specific word, and it's ratzak. And it's more commonly translated into English as murder. To murder someone, to commit homicide, to... It's the unjustified killing of a human being, which sounds terrible. It's not a pleasant definition even. But it's more specific than killing somebody. It's you shall not murder. And so there are lots of interpretations about, about what this command means. And uh, maybe you have you know, opinions about this command and, and strong views that you hold on different issues that are rooted in an interpretation of this command. But it's important just to translate it properly and acknowledge that it means more likely you shall not murder. So, first of all, we live in a world of violence, don't we? Think about mass shootings in this country. And, of course, you know this, that during the COVID lockdown, mass shootings declined drastically. And then we knew what was going to happen, didn't we? As soon as the COVID lockdown began to lift, mass shootings started to jump up again in the United States and on freeways and malls and you know, we struggle with, with violent crime and mass shootings more than any other industrialized country on the planet. And so we know that we do live in a violent society. However, if this, like we said, if this command means only physical violence, literally murdering somebody, most of us can jump over that bar. But perhaps it means more than that. And so I'm going to suggest a few things about what this command can mean in our lives and why it can be so incredibly liberating for us. So first of all, society murders some people slowly. And maybe you are one of the people who is being slowly murdered. So let me ask you, how many people do you know who have had panic attacks based on stress at work? Their jobs stress them out so much, or the financial stress they feel connected to their work, that they've had panic attacks. How many people do you know? Maybe you are one of them. A few years ago, I had a panic attack. Of course, I didn't know I was having one. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. I was at work. I have a day job in addition to being a pastor, and I was sitting at my desk, and I started to have chest pains, and they moved down my left arm, and I, I started to feel clammy. And I thought, wow, I think this is it. Like, this is what they described. And I really thought that I was going to die. And I, I got my, my manager's attention. I said, I have to go. And foolishly, I w- went to my car to drive to the hospital. But I, I was convinced that I was going to die to the extent that as I got to my car, I pulled out my phone and I looked at a picture of my family on my phone. And I actually said out loud, I love you. I didn't think I was going to see my family again. And I drove to the ER and of course, they, they gave me an EKG and did all the things they do. And a couple hours later, I was fine. And I realized, oh, that's what they mean by a sense of impending doom. That's what a panic attack is. And I shared that in a sermon a couple of years ago when we had just started the well. 
And within a couple of weeks, three guys, and they were all guys, middle-aged guys like me, three guys all said to me, me too. They had all experienced panic attacks too that had been connected to work stress. Walter Brueggemann is one of the best Old Testament scholars in the world. And he writes, the murder behind the headlines, the killing that happens a little at a time, mostly unnoticed and unacknowledged, is kept ideologically obscure. Such slow, unnoticed destruction diminishes human life among those not powerful enough to defend themselves. We know from the Gilded Age, over 100 years ago, labor laws were such that you would have workers in factories working six days a week, 10 hours a day or more in unsafe conditions, being maimed or killed by, by factory machinery. You had child labor, you had women making half what men made. And the courts consistently ruled that, well, the worker assumes the risk when they take the job. And since that time, it's been, it's been the blood, sweat and tears of people who said, no, there has to be something better for human beings. Our lives are worth more than that. They're more valuable than that. That's the reason why we have a five-day work week now. But still, we live in a society that slowly kills so many people. Now, maybe you're retired and you don't, you don't work anymore, but think about this. How does our society value the elderly, the elderly, folks who are older? Think about somebody who has to, has to uh, buy medi uh, medicine in a time when the price of pharmaceuticals is skyrocketing. Think about somebody who has to make a choice between buying groceries or buying insulin. Brueggemann would call that slow murder. It's a very difficult question uh, that's been written about lately after the pandemic. Think about how many people died alone last year in nursing homes. And what does that say about American society? That's a tough question, isn't it? But it's a question about, is, is, is our society slowly killing some people? Think about the young. 25% of American children are born into poverty. And we like to tell ourselves, of course, in this country that you can pull yourselves up by your own, your own bootstraps. And, and yes, the American dream is there, even though it seems to be getting harder and harder to attain, but there's so many kids who don't really have a chance and they're slowly killed because we as a society allow that to happen. So Brueggemann would say, first of all, society can slowly murder people. And maybe you're one of the people who is being murdered. And so maybe liberation for you is thinking, you know what? I'm worth more than this. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm not going to be in a, in a job that gives me panic attacks. And I know it's easier said than done, but you know, looking for a new job or whatever. But the liberation is you're worth more than that. Or if, or if you're an older person, you're worth more than that. And you can, you can fight for equality and injustice and, and the cost of medication and, and the, the experiences that people have and opportunities for younger people. And we can do something about that. There's the liberation and the freedom already there in the sixth commandment. But there's more. There's another meaning. Jesus actually gave his interpretation of this commandment. We have it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. And let's read that together now. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Some translations add angry without cause. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow, okay, this is one of those teachings of Jesus that, that gets your attention. 
I mean, that's, that's strong language. Jesus makes the point here that we don't just murder people physically. This, this isn't just about killing somebody physically, but we can also murder people in our hearts and our thoughts and with our words. And so Jesus says here, it's not just you shall not murder people physically, but you shall not murder people in your heart or your thoughts or with your words. The comedian Dave Chappelle, because the sermon's not done if you haven't quoted Dave Chappelle, said a few years ago in an interview, somebody was asking him about some story in the tabloid media where a celebrity had done something and had been called crazy. The celebrity had done something strange and, and the, the media was calling them crazy. And Chappelle said, I, I don't call people crazy. He said, calling people crazy diminishes them first. And it's also, not, it's also not reality. Like it doesn't tell the full story. And he went on to talk about what living in Hollywood is like and the pressures. And of course, you know, people who are famous, they have, they have money and glamour and all kinds of things. But he said, you, you pull back the curtain and there's a lot that goes on that puts tremendous pressure on people. And it can be a horrible environment in many ways. And he said, so instead of calling people crazy, I think maybe there's something wrong with the environment they're in. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's, it, when we name call, when we think about people, it's, it diminishes them. It's not reality. And murder begins in the heart. And then it moves to words. And then it moves to actions. And so Jesus says, when it comes to this commandment, let's just, let's just pull it out at the root. Murder begins in the heart and thoughts, and then it moves to words, and then it moves to actions. The Holocaust began with thinking dehumanizing thoughts about Jews. And then it moved to propaganda and calling them names. And then it moved to the gas chambers. Violence in America, a coup attempt, or racial violence, racially motivated attacks begin in the heart with racism. And then they move to words in racial slurs or maybe something shared on social media. And then it moves to violent actions. That's the progression from the heart or thoughts to words to actions. And so in this passage, Jesus said, it looks like this. If you're angry at somebody without cause, there is such a thing as righteous anger. When you see something wrong happening and you feel angry about that, it motivates you to do something about it. So it's not that all anger is bad, but when you're angry with a brother or sister, Jesus says, and other translations will add without cause, that's, that's a check right there. That's a red flag. I find myself being angry at these people or at this person. Is there somebody? Is there a, is there a, a group of people? And you find yourself just being, Ugh, I just, I'm angry at them. I hear their name. I see them and I'm angry. Jesus says, that's, that's a red flag. That's something to pay attention to because it starts there. And then Jesus goes on to say, but, but if you call somebody raka, it's an Aramaic term. Jesus spoke Aramaic and it's an Aramaic term of derision, of name calling. And it means empty headed. It means calling somebody an idiot, stupid, empty headed, brainless, mindless, dumb. And it was a, a, a word that was meant to diminish that person, to just make them less than. So the anger without cause, that's in the heart. And then now it goes to the words like name calling, using epithets, uh, putting somebody down, putting a label on somebody because it diminishes them, like Chappelle said, calling, pe you know, calling people crazy. And then Jesus goes farther and he says, but if you call somebody you fool, 
then you're in danger of the fire of hell. By the way, that word for hell there is Gehenna, which is a valley in the south uh, side of Jerusalem, and there's a lot there. We've given sermons before about what that means. It may not mean an eternal hell. There's a whole lot there that you can go to wellchurch.org and, and look into and pass sermons. But the, the warning is clear. Calling somebody a fool is calling them worthless, trash. It's dehumanizing them. And Jesus says dehumanizing another human being makes you worthy of a place that is not pleasant. However long it is or whatever that is, when Jesus uses the word Gehenna, it's not pleasant. And, and Jesus uses that as a warning. Do not dehumanize other people. Jesus says it starts in the heart, the thoughts, and then it moves to words. And those words dehumanize other people. They, they diminish and take away the humanity of other people. Because once you take away somebody's humanity, it makes it easier to kill them. Jesus says this is how it works. It starts in the heart and thoughts, then moves to the words, and then it moves to actions. You're, okay, well, the Ten Commandments are supposed to be liberating. So how is this liberating? Well, you already know this. Think about it. If you, if you live with anger towards somebody and you just, it just it won't go away and you can't get rid of it, or you hear somebody's name and you're, you're just angry, or there's a group of people and you're just so angry and you just feel, you're just, your heart rate's elevated and you feel adrenalized and, and you're just, that's no way to live. You, you don't want to live like that. You know, with, with this knee-jerk reaction of anger towards other people. That's not freedom. Even if it's justified. There are people who have been horribly abused, hurt. And, and of course it's natural to feel angry. When it goes on and on and on and there's no healing. Because it can be hard to seek out healing. It can be hard to heal. It can take time. But over time, we allow that person to keep hurting us over and over and over again. Even though they may be out of our lives and may have been out for a really long time, we still allow them to hold us captive. And this is liberating because this, that's no way to live. Maybe it's talking to a counselor, you know, a, you know, a trusted friend, a pastor. You know, th- hearing somebody... Uh, or, or you know, maybe reading social media and seeing you know, a group of people that you don't like. And, and, and name-calling. Those people are just so, psh. And then there's the name-calling. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to have that in your heart. And, and you, might, you might not like them because they dehumanize people. Let's make a nuanced point here. We want to oppose fascists who dehumanize people. And while we stand up for what's right, we don't want to dehumanize just like they do. You you stand up for what's right and you oppose fascists, but don't dehumanize them the way that they dehumanize others. And oh, that's hard. We're talking about a fine line here, but it makes all the difference in the world. You can stand up against haters without hating people yourself. That's the point Jesus is making. And so when the anger is there, 
That's a, that's a red flag. When it goes to name calling, when you find, <laughs> excuse me, I have allergies and sorry if, I'm, if, I, if I just cough involuntarily. When you find yourself calling somebody a name, you're going down a road you really don't want to go down. You don't want to live like that. You can be free from that. There's something better for you, a better life than that. Do you want to go through life dehumanizing people and take, you know, looking at them as worthless, looking at other people as worthless and as fools? You don't want to go through life like that. You don't want to, you don't want to give people that, that headspace for free. You just don't want to give people your soul like that. There's something better for you than that. That's why this commandment is liberating. What if that person you've, by the way, name calling is a, is a way of, of expressing contempt. Contempt is looking down on somebody else as though they're just not as good as you. What if that person you feel contempt for is your spouse? What if it's your parent? What if it's your coworker? What if it's your boss? I mean, the, the misery that that leads to. You know, this, this frees you from that. You see these, you, when you're headed down this road, and now oh, I, I see these red flags, now I can do something about it, and that's liberating. And so we can murder people in our thoughts and in our words. And then finally, the, the largest, most expansive view of this commandment is by valuing life, we save lives. You can save lives by valuing life. It's not just you who is liberated by this command. It's everyone around you. It's your children if you, if you have kids. It's grandchildren, friends, uh, coworkers, bosses, employees, nieces and nephews, everybody that you come in contact with, your, their lives can be made better and their lives can be saved in many ways because you value their lives. That's why it's so important to recognize what movements mean uh, when, when they talk about the value of lives, like, like Black Lives Matter. There's so many people who hear that and they have a knee-jerk reaction like, well, all lives matter. Well, of course all lives matter. But the Black Lives Matter movement means there are a lot of people in the black community who feel like their lives don't matter because of violence committed against them. And they're saying black lives matter too. And, and so it's important to recognize when somebody cries out and says, I feel like my life doesn't matter. Well, we, we want to be people who are committed to valuing their lives. And we can literally save lives. There's a beautiful example this week of valuing life. Uh, Carl Nassib is uh, an NFL player. He plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. And this past week, he became the first active NFL player in the history of the NFL to come out as gay. He announced it on his Instagram and, and then made a donation to an organization that, that works with uh, LGBTQ youth. And uh, it was a, a monumental announcement in sports. Even though if you're not a sports fan, just the cultural impact of an NFL player announcing that he's gay can literally save lives. I mean, he, who knows? He, I'm sure he will literally save lives because of that announcement. And you can save the lives of the people you, lo you love the most. And no, it doesn't mean that you are just literally saving their lives for being murdered. You are saving their lives and making their lives better in everything they can be because the way that you view them in your thoughts and with your words toward them and your actions toward them. I saw a meme this past week that I thought was great. It's Spider-Man stopping a bus from hitting a, a child who's crossing the street. And on the bus, it's, it says your family history. 
and then your Spider-Man, and then that child, that could be your child, or that could be a niece or nephew, that could be any kid in your life, or it may not be a kid. It might be, it might just be a loved one, a friend, you know, a coworker, anybody. And you're stopping the bus of all of your negative family history from being passed on to that person. Or maybe it's not family history. Maybe it's just the way people have treated you at work. And then, you know, it's, it's tempting that you pass that on to other people. They're negative to you and then you're negative to other people. But you can stop all that. You can say, no, they, they treated me in a certain way, but I'm not going to do that to other people. I'm going to value people's lives. And I'm going to protect the people around me from things that have been done to me. It caused me pain, but I'm not going to pass that pain on to other people. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let that pain create a passion in me to keep other people from experiencing the same pain that I felt. It's, it's been said, your greatest passion often comes from your greatest pain. And you can save lives like a superhero. You can save people, the people you love, from all the things that have been done to you. You can spare them from that. And they'll never know what was done to you because you didn't pass it on to them, the negative stuff. You can save lives by valuing lives and help them uh, make their lives all that they can be. So by valuing life, you're liberated from constant conflict, liberated from hatred, liberated from anxiety and fear. And then finally, I want to close with a story about the value of your life, your life specifically, because this command means everybody and that includes you. And I want to talk about the value of your life. Maybe you feel valuable, maybe you don't. But I want to share a story with you, and it's just something I found on the internet. And I thought it was moving, and it makes a clear point. And so I want to read this story about the value of your life. It would have been good last week for Father's Day. It's about a boy and his dad. It could easily be about a daughter and a mom, but... So a boy turned to his father and said, Father, what is the value of my life? Instead of answering, the father placed a colorful stone, shiny and smooth, in his hand and said, Go sell this stone in the market. If someone asks you about the stone's price, just raise two fingers and say nothing more. So the boy went to the market where a woman saw him and asked, How much does the stone cost? I'd like to put it in my garden. The boy said nothing and just raised two fingers. The woman said, Two dollars. I'll take it. And the boy went back and told his father happily that he had sold the stone to this woman for $2. And the father put a similar stone in the boy's hand and told him, now I want you to go take the stone to a museum. And if someone wants to buy it, <coughs> excuse me, don't say a word, just put up two fingers. The boy went to the museum where a man in a suit saw him and asked, how much does the stone cost? I want to add it to my rare stone collection. The boy said nothing and just raised two fingers. The man said, $200, I'll take it. The boy was in shock, and instead of selling the stone, he ran back to his father to tell him that someone wants to buy the stone for $200. The father listened to the son and said, Now I want you to take the stone to a store that sells precious gems. Show it to the store owner and don't say a word. If he asks for a price, simply raise two fingers. The boy went to the precious gem store, showed the stone to the owner, who then asked, Where did you find this stone? It's one of the rarest stones in the world. I have to buy it off of you. How much are you selling it for? The boy said nothing and just raised two fingers. The store owner said, no problem, I'll pay you $20,000.
the boy went back to his father, not selling the son. And the father said to the son, do you understand the value of your life now? It doesn't matter where you came from, what color your skin is, or even how much money you have. What matters is the place you choose to be in and the people you surround yourself with. There are people who go through a whole lifetime believing they are worth only $2, when in fact they just surround themselves with people who see them as only worth $2. Within each person hides a diamond, and we choose to surround ourselves with people who see our worth and the diamond inside of us. We choose whether to place ourselves in a marketplace or in a precious gem store. You too can choose to see others' priceless value, and you also have the ability to help them see the diamond hiding inside of them. Your life matters. Are you around people who see the value of you? This is a command that liberates us to see the value of life, and it liberates us from anxiety and, and needless anger and hatred and disgust and unnecessary conflict and fear when we recognize the value of everybody. And that includes you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this commandment that is liberating, that is freeing to us. Thank you, God, that there is so much more than just the surface interpretation. <laughs> and especially in the times that we live in, divisive times and, and anxiety-ridden times, we do find ourselves tempted to go down a road where we feel anger towards people that we don't want to carry. There is a such thing as righteous anger where we speak up for, for what's right. That's absolutely the case. And at the same time, we don't want to speak out against hatred and then hate people ourselves. We don't want to speak out against dehumanizing people and then turn around and dehumanize people ourselves. There's a better life for us than that. A liberated, free life. And finally, God, we see the value of life. And we can spare other people around us from so much by valuing them and the way that we think about them and the words that we speak to them and the way that we treat them and we can see the value of our own lives. And we can choose to be around people who see that value as well. And oh God, is that liberating and freeing for us and healing. And it gives us a whole new hope about what life can be. And we thank you that that comes from this liberating command. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.